American Maritime Voices was created to help you speak up, show your pride, and when needed, push back. The future of maritime is in your hands, and its story needs to be told. Will you help tell it? Welcome back to the American Maritime Podcast, powered by Big Wig Podcasts. I'm your host, Jennifer Carpenter, and today we are very excited to welcome Bill Doyle, CEO of the Dredging Contractors of America, the leading voice of the dredging industry for three decades. Bill has served as a merchant marine officer, a U.S. naval officer, an attorney and marine engineer, a presidential appointee, and most recently, before his second tour of duty running DCA, he ran the Port of Baltimore. Bill, there is so much I want to ask you about today, but thank you so much for joining us. Oh, uh, pleased to be here, Jennifer, and uh, looking forward to our discussion. Absolutely. Well, you know, let's start with the basics. Dredging is so important to the U.S. economy, and most people don't understand it at all. Tell us a little bit. Dredging 101, please. Dredging is an enormous asset for the United States of America. Um, The ships that come into port, um, those ships, the new generation of ships that we have now, Um, probably 10 years ago, they wouldn't fit into most of the East Coast ports. So the ports had to be dredged, and that's the shipping channels and the federal channels. Um, Most of that work is put out by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The contracting, it's a private sector first industry that the Mm -hmm. government recognizes. So when channels need to be deepened, when they have to be widened, when they have to be maintenance dredged, when your beaches need to be re-nourished, the Army Corps of Engineers will put that work out to the private sector. It's a very competitive dredging industry with over 25 companies that bid for work. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is what it is. We take the material, we deepen the ports, we deepen the berths so that the ships can come in and commerce can flow. And that's how our economy works. And we all learned more than uh, we probably ever thought we would need to about the supply chain during the pandemic. Dredging played such a critical role in keeping the supply chain moving. Yes, Tell it us cert- about that. Yeah, it certainly did, Jennifer. Um, you know, a big part of what you saw happen was um, prior to the pandemic, most of the people in the United States didn't realize that 40% of all cargo coming into the United States came in through Los Angeles, Long Beach. Los Angeles and Long Beach became, you know, through the pandemic, was so backed up, you needed to find, or your retailers, your box stores, Mm -hmm. and your uh, ocean carriers needed to find other outlets in order to get the products into the United States. And that led us through the Panama Canal, which was recently expanded in 2016, to get into the Gulf and East Coast. And if those ports weren't dredged and maintenance dredged, so we kept the maintenance dredging going throughout the whole pandemic, they didn't skip a beat, like most of your Jones Act companies. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the Jones Act fleet, uh, whether you're dredging, whether you're tankers, whether you're container ships, we worked. And on the dredging side, we kept the ports open and cleared in order to get the cargo in and out. And that's that's what our companies do. That's what our workers do. And that's the dredging industry. And it's absolutely vital. Bill, you mentioned the Jones Act. So tell our listeners a little bit about what role the Jones Act plays in providing the foundation for this critical. Yeah, uh, dredging has been around a long time. Um, A lot of people don't know that the the first vestige of the um, Dredge Act and the Jones Act, the Dredge Act was formed in 1906, 14 years before the Jones Act even came into existence. And it was a shipbuilding component because we were relying on foreign vessels to do our dredging. 
And then we had a series of uh, hurricanes and weather down on the Gulf Coast. There were no dredges. So the government said, we're going to form the Dredge Act. All dredges in the, uh, that will work in the United States must be built in the United States. Now, since then, the Dredge Act has been rolled into the Jones Act, and it's part and parcel to the actual Jones Act of 1920. So when you look at the American-owned, American-built, American-crewed, that is the Jones Act. And um, right now we have, we're, we're approaching $3 billion worth of construction going on in shipyards all over the United States for dredge vessels, dredge equipment, scows, barges, uh, hopper dredges, cut a suction dredges, clamshell dredges. That's what's going on right now. It's the largest recapitalization in the history of the dredging. That is exciting stuff. And so it's the Jones Act that is providing the investment security and the foundation that absolutely. enables DCA members to make those investments, yes, right? Uh, absolutely. It is, it is the Jones Act um, that does that. We, we, we consider ourselves, and we are, a, a strong supporter and part of the Jones Act. Um, you know, these investments that the companies make, they need to be comforted in the fact that the Jones Act is not going away in order to make these investments. It uh, also um, you know, bodes well for national security. So we don't just do it for economic reasons, but when you look at all of your Navy bases around the country, the dredging is done by these private sector contractors for the Army Corps of Engineers, and we keep the um, uh, military ships, Navy ships, vessels, Coast Guard, uh, Army Corps of Engineers, all of those vessels move because of the dredging of the private sector fleet. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. Jones Act Fleet. That is great stuff. Well, you know, and your your retelling the history of the Dredge Act is pretty interesting. I suspect most people don't know that. And it's so relevant because how many times do we hear foreign countries, foreign operators say, oh, why, why, you know, why do we actually need an American-built, American-owned, American-operated dredge fleet? Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it is something um, that, that we hear often. And, um, you know, you really don't, you really don't understand it until you get into a situation where um, you need dredging now, mm -hmm. okay? And basically what we have is a system of Jones Act dredges that are set up for projects that are planned and then projects on demand. When there is um, some, you know, a hurricane comes through the Gulf Coast, uh, our dredges need to get down there and get those rivers cleared. Um, and they will uh, do that. You can't rely on a foreign industry to do that. Um, I think a, a big point, in, uh, which, which takes us into consideration, is Germany has lost their dredging fleet. They're gone. Europe has lost it. Um, they, and their shipbuilding side of, of um, um, what you would call a European Jones Act, it doesn't exist anymore. So what happened to it? It's gone. They, they, economically, they, they let it go. All right? And what happens is, and this is the interesting part of it, is that your, your vessels that Germany used to build and used to use uh, are now being built in China, okay? Whoa. And if you're a dredger, a European dredger, you're building your vessels in China, but you don't have access to the Chinese market. And they're complaining about that, meaning the Europeans are complaining that, well, we don't even get to compete in China. No, you don't. China's rules are China's rules. 
China's going to dredge for themselves. We don't, in the United States, want to be in a situation where we build our vessels somewhere else, and then we need those vessels to come back into the United States, and a foreign entity has built them. No, it's not there. We build our own. We take care of ourselves. It's a national security issue. Uh, it's an economic issue. And our companies, American-made, American-crewed, American-built, American-owned. And that's the only thing we can rely on. We don't want to be in a position like the Europeans. Wow. That is just an amazing split-screen juxtaposition. You know, picturing what we have now and what situation we could be in if we were to be lured into giving up the protection we enjoy with the Jones Act. Yeah, sure. I mean, we've we've been in these situations before, and one of the the most recent examples is the microchips. Okay, in the 90s, the United States was producing, you know, well over 70 percent of all microchips in the world. Well, we went down to somewhere in the range of 20 percent. All of those microchips were foreign built. Okay, so what had to happen? The United States Congress policymakers had to come in, step in and do the Chips Act. So we're going to have to build our own microchips. And that's what happens. And it's going to take a long time. It's going to take over a decade to get that up and running. Billions and billions of dollars spent getting the microchip industry back into the United States. We don't want to be there with shipbuilding. We don't want to be there with the Jones Act. We have it now. What we're, If it's not broken, don't fix it. And Abs- keep it. Absolutely. Here, here, here. So, you know, Bill, you have very varied maritime experience, and you most recently served as director of the Port of Baltimore, where I'm sure you have some perspective on China's ambitions to control port infrastructure worldwide, as well as vessels. Can you just talk a little bit about that aspect of the security challenge? Yeah, I will. Um, You know, it is a security challenge. Again, um, like the microchips, um, you know, 40 years ago, your ship-to-shore cranes were all made in the United States. Okay, so the cranes that you see now, um, the the large um, uh, ship to shore cranes that basically will load and unload the largest vessels coming into the United States. So uh, 22,000 TEU vessels on the West Coast. If you take Baltimore, for instance, um, we can do the 16,000 to 18,000 TEU, the largest ships that can fit through the Panama Canal. Mm -hmm. But again. We gave up the technology, we gave it, and all those cranes are being built in China. All right. Now, China's going to fill a void. If you allow China to fill a void and to make your goods, then you're going to have to rely on China. We need the Jones Act to stay in place the way that it is because we don't want to rely on a foreign nation, any foreign nation. But when you look at the port infrastructure, um, you know, a lot of it, I can see the focus of the administration of Congress is that, you know, we have to take a look at this. For 40 years, we've been outsourcing. There are some industries like crane making, like microchips, like shipbuilding that we don't want to lose. And we've got to do this and keep it in place to have our economy and our national security. Absolutely. They're just part of that critical industrial base we've got to have. Bill, let's shift gears a little bit to the environmental benefits of dredging. I'm not sure most folks think about the role that the dredging industry plays in environmental protection, coastal restoration. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you're doing some cool things. Yeah. um, So what a lot of people, um, uh, you know, they'll ask, all right, so you dredge. What do you do with the mud, the dredge material? Well, the policy in the past was, well, you just 
take it out to sea and bottom dump, right? You get rid of it at sea. Um, we've come a long way, and the Army Corps of Engineers is, is in this um, team as well, that that's not wasteful material. We should take that material and find a beneficial use. It's called beneficial use of dredge material. And for instance, if you look at the Chesapeake Bay, so the, the channel for Baltimore starts in Virginia. It's down in Cape Henry. It comes all the way up the Chesapeake Bay. You've got several islands in the Chesapeake Bay that were almost completely uh, overrun by sea level rise and storms. Uh -huh. um, as recently as the early 90s, they were just specks on a map. Well, what you had is the state and the federal government and the, and the dredging contractors said, why don't we rebuild these islands? We'll take the dredge material from the Chesapeake Bay, and instead of wasting it, we will take that material, rebuild the islands, rebuild the shoreline so that you have bumpers for storms. It's storm protection. Yeah. It's coastal resilience. And all of that material that you're seeing um, nationwide, there are uses for it. Now, it took a long time to get there because you had to get the environmentalists to, under environmentalists to understand that this is safe material. Mm -hmm. It's not polluted material. It's, it's, it's been tested by state agencies, the EPA, Army Corps of Engineers, all of those, you know, you had to get over that hurdle to say it's safe. That's why one of the things that you don't hear people say anymore, not in the dredging industry, you won't hear any of my staff or, or any of my companies, we don't call it spoils, we call it dredge material. Yes. So the lexicom of changing the lexicom to dredge material, the environmental use, the beneficial use, that's what we do with the dredge material. That is really interesting stuff. So dredging, it's, it's sort of this cycle. Yes. Dredging is not only making these critical contributions to our economy yep. and our, our security by making yep. sure we can get to our own ports, but you're actually helping to restore the environment, which it seems like, yep. Bill, is only going to be more relevant as sure. we deal with climate change and extreme weather. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we see it. I mean, it's not just the Chesapeake Bay. It's, it's the Mississippi River and your dikes yep. and the land land. You know, there's land losses all the time down there when you have floods, all right? So land will go away. I mean, I have, I have a saying that I like to say is, you know, God's not, God's not making land anymore. There's only two ways you can make land, volcanoes and dredge material excavated, excavated from the ocean floor. That's the way you get it. So that land, that land mass that we take from the ocean floor and rebuild our, our coasts, you know, it's valuable. It's a valuable resource, the dredge material um, that is used. That is really cool stuff. Yeah. So as you look out on the horizon, where do you see the U.S. dredging industry going? What opportunities do you see? Yeah. Anything you're concerned about that we need to make sure we're working on so that we uh, we have what we need in the future when we need it? Yeah, I think with the recapitalization is a, is a big thing. Um, you know, you, you're always going to have your maintenance dredging, okay, because your channel's silt up. Yep. So you're always going to need to have dredging uh, uh, for that silt material. But I think that um, you're going to see a lot more in the environmental dredging. Um, you're going to see a lot more in your um, um, coastal restoration. You're going to see a lot more in your beach nourishment. I mean, if you take a look, um, you know, in the Delaware Bay, Bay you've got uh, Bethany Beach, you have Florida beaches, all of that dredge, okay? So you, you, you find the borrow sites, borrow sites are your sandbars. Uh -huh. You take the sand, you, you bring it on, you put it on the beach. Um, and, you know, it's not just for swimmers. It's not just for uh, sunbathing. It's actual coastal protection. So when you rebuild these beaches, yes, there is the tourist part of it, but it's also um, the safety and security of the surrounding ocean communities. Um, and that's, you know, they, I, I see that expanding more and more um, on, you know, uh, you know, rebuilding the coast, the resilience. And, you know, dredges are going to play a major part in that. 
that is really exciting stuff and seems like something that, uh, you know, folks would want to be part of. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the need to make sure that we've got the next generation of mariners coming along to do what needs to be done. Are you experiencing any challenges in the dredging industry? Uh, Do you have the people that you need to uh, do this awesome work in the future? Yeah. Um, I think that we always are looking for um, mariners. And, um, you know, part of my job is to, you know, dredging's cool. It I is mean, cool. Wanna, I mean, they're cool looking ships uh, yeah. to get on there. So, um, you know, our companies do reach out to the Maritime Academies. Myself, I'm a Mass Maritime Academy graduate. Um, I sailed on vessels for 10 years. So, you know, I, I have that, I can tell that story to the, to the cadets and um, the folks that want to go to sea. Uh, working with the, our labor unions, you know, they all have training facilities, you know, the MBBA, the AMO, the SIU, the MMP, you know, all of those folks have training facilities that, um, you know, you can come in as a rating and you can go all the way up through offices. So, you know, we want to, you know, in a big part of the American Maritime Partnership is that recruitment yes. and getting the word out that, you know, you can make a great living, you know, family sustaining wages with benefits if you come into the maritime industry, dredging is a part of that. Absolutely. And doing work that makes a real difference. Cool stuff. Bill, is there anything you want to put a little finer point on or anything I didn't ask you about that you were really hoping I would that you want to share with our listeners? No, I think that, um, I think that, um, you know, well, first of all, congratulations. You are the first female that will be the head of the American Maritime Partnership. So congratulations on that. And working with the American Maritime Partnership and the AWO, um, you know, we're partners together. Absolutely. You know, so um, look forward to continue working with you and uh, it's a pleasure. So thank you. Well, it is a pleasure right back at you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and share a little bit about all the cool stuff that the yeah. U.S. dredging industry does for our economy, our security, and our environment. Thank you. So that is all for this episode of the American Maritime Podcast, although I'd love to keep talking with Bill. The American Maritime Podcast is powered by Big Wig Podcasts. I hope that you will share the show with friends and colleagues. I also encourage you to go to AmericanMaritimeVoices.org. Sign up to be a voice on maritime issues. We are stronger when we stand together and tell the story of our industry. Again, that is AmericanMaritimeVoices.org. Please check it out. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Carpenter signing off. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one?